sixth chapter verse. I'm going to read 25 through 34. And we're going to talk today about being kingdom-minded. That is, that we consider a picture of the work of God much greater than, than your own local assembly or your own personal life. You see, the truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God is much bigger than the 220 by 220 block that the house is built. And sometimes we, you know, we feel that there's an extent of it. Now, I'm going to be talking a lot about faith and uh, just a personal approach that I have taken toward faith for some time. Now, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, and yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than man? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they eat, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit? unto this statue. Statue. Verse 28. And why take ye thought of rain? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, although the Lord was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the heaven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek, seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be able to do. What happens quite often, now I'm going to be talking about faith from the standpoint of the, the kingdom, but this, this would also be true in our own personal lives. See, quite often we seek a kingdom that is not really the kingdom of God. Now he also went on to say that the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his kingdom is always predicated on right doing. And approaching uh, problems from the standpoint of right principles and not feelings. Now just to give you an example of what I'm saying, in Luke 7, there was a lady called in adultery that came to Jesus. And I said came to Jesus, she was brought to Jesus. And uh, the crowd of people, I don't know who called her, but they had already picked up stones to kill her. And the reason why they had done this, because under the law, a person committing the act of adultery, they were caught in the act of adultery, then uh, they were stoned. Now, when they brought this woman to Jesus, uh, they, they gave this accusation. Lord, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Therefore, she needs to be stoned. But for some reason now, they wanted his opinion on this. Now, I'm not for sure why they wanted his opinion, and I'm not for sure what he wrote in the sand when he knelt down 
as if he didn't even hear what they were saying in the right of the Senate. Now, what I wanted to call your attention to about this is not about how situations should or should not be treated or how we should view adultery, but the truth of the matter is that God has always been against vigilante law. That simply means even under the law, you cannot take the law in your own hands. The seven cities of refuge set up in the Old Testament were set up in the Old Testament to protect, to protect people, even people who, according to law, could be killed by surviving uh, by a survivor uh, of, uh, of of an individual within her. We have uh, examples in the Old Testament of how, how that happened. Abner, for example, died as a fool died because he stepped outside of the gates uh, of um, one of the, the cities of refuge and, and was killed. Uh, so what I see in this story was that, that uh, these people uh, want to take the law in their own hands. Now, how this relates to what I'm talking about is that, that quite often when we are seeking God, we seek God for our own kingdom, for our own sake, rather than the overall picture of the kingdom of God. Now, it's a strange thing, but we know this is true. They brought the woman. They no doubt caught the man, too. But they didn't bring him. He probably was a man of good standing in the community or something, but this was just a slut thing. So we will just kill her and we'll get rid of the problem. We don't kill all uh, the prostitutes to get rid of the problem. If they have been of reputation involved, they have a problem too. We're not, we're not really for sure what Jesus wrote in the sand. But we know that he, the Bible says when he wrote, he convicted them. Now they were, they were touched in their heart. In fact, he wrote in the sand twice. And uh, then he looked at them and said, He that without sin cast the first stone. These people were wanting to take the law in their own hands. Now let me just give you another another case of point. You remember when Jesus Christ prayed all night in the garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says he prayed to the point that his sweat became as great drops of blood. And he went to these men and wanted them to pray. The three who went into the inner circle of Jesus went to sleep. Now he was praying, not his will, he said, but thine be done. In other words, he was praying that, that, that a will, the will of God, which was predominant in his life, be done. He said, you know, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he was begging these men to pray. Well, see, their, their flesh was weak, but their spirit was weak too. And their, their spirit was not questing after the right things. So consequently, the flesh had no other alternative but to fall asleep. Uh, I have tried to pray around people who were agonizing in prayer. And there are times when some of these people just get on my nerves. Really, we've got a few people in our church that I can hardly pray with them because they just get on my nerves. But I know this, that, that when they were agonizing, see, the Bible says when Zion prevails, there's nothing pleasant about the, the voice of prevail. You know, it is, it is ear-piercing. It, it, you know, it, it drives you up a wall. Now, who would enjoy 
a travailing crime. Well, this is what the Lord was doing. He was in deep travail. Now, the reason why I want to point this out is because that, you see, Peter had told the Lord he would never deny him. Didn't he tell him that? He said, oh, I, I will not deny him. Jesus prophesied he would, and all he had to do is to just look at the garden. That's, all, that's, that's as far as he had to go. Because he saw a man who was not yet totally sold out. You remember when he said, Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. He was converted from the standpoint of having a knowledge of even the deity of the But he was not yet in the vein and the philosophy of thinking that Jesus Christ was in. Now let me point out the reason why I think that he wasn't. Now, when he went outside the garden, having slept all night, Jesus said, pray. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Did he did not pray for but, but they didn't. They just went on back to sleep. Well, when he went outside of the garden of Gethsemane, and they came to arrest Jesus, Peter resorting to his own kingdom of physical living and fussing and fighting and squabbling, carrying his sword, took off his sword and tried his best to be him, decapitated. This Roman soldier, he was, he was willing to fight for Jesus, was he not? He was willing to kill for him. Jesus found the man's ear, put it back on him, and rebuked Peter. He said, Peter, put up your sword, for they that live by the sword shall perish by the sword. Now Jesus, when he stood before Pontius Pilate, he said, if my kingdom were this world, then will my servants fight. He had servants that were willing to fight. But when it came to doing things right, these servants were not ready to do things right. The very same man that was willing to fight for him physically when the court was called and the presiding officers, according to the law, were called. I know a lot of people say it's a kangaroo court and so forth and so on. You hear a lot about that. Regardless of how you feel about it, the authorities that were in charge were placed in authority and God honored them. Jesus honored us. So when it came time for Peter to fight for him righteously, When he was supposed to testify, he Jesus Christ opened not his mouth because they had hired two witnesses to come and lie against him. And when it came time for Jesus to testify, he opened not his mouth because it would not have helped. Because a man testifying on his own behalf is a very poor testimony. So when he was called on to speak, what did he do? He opened out his mouth, but he looked out into the crowd, on the periphery, into the shadows, to find somebody that would come and defend him. Now, he was human, he was flesh, he knew what was going to happen, but he still going to let this man make up his mind himself. And he looked out there and he saw Peter. The damsel said, he needs a testimony. <coughs> Would you go testify for him? He said, well, I don't know who don't let Jesus imagine. Even swore. Now he was willing to fight for him, but when it came to doing things right, running your life by principles and not by feelings, <coughs> he flunked the test. 
be this simply wouldn't do for me. He would not do it. And it's amazing that when we're not kingdom minded, that we automatically resort to the kingdom of self. And when we resort to the kingdom of self, we begin to put ourselves in the molds, molds of the Gentiles, where we become extremely materialistic, and we measure success on materialism. Consequently, we become extremely frustrated. Now, if you know what the Lord is saying, He's saying that the cure for anxiety is to trust in God and consider first the kingdom of God. We have more people in Pentecost that are outside of the will of God and seeking direction than we've ever had before in the history of this movement. Now, I don't travel as much as some of you, but I travel enough to know when I ask the question, how many people are sick? I get a good number of hands. How many people uh, are in need of this, that, and the other? But whenever I ask this one question, how many of you are seeking direction from the Holy Ghost? You're frustrated. And there, I get 90 to 95% of all the people that raise their hands. Could that be because we're seeking a kingdom that is not the kingdom that God wants us to seek? You see, if you seek the kingdom of self so that your prayers are so specific that all you're doing is praying about yourself and your own personal needs, it doesn't make any difference how much you pray. You are putting the secondary in the primary position. That's exactly what you're doing. So when you have people come up to you, let's say a young lady comes up to you, and this young lady, now she's 27 years old, nobody's ever paid her much attention, now she wants to get married, she feels like, you know, I'm going to die without having children, I'm going to die without having to get married, and she's so frustrated with this, oh God, what am I going to do? Now, I'm going to put something in here, and I, I, this is, I'm not trying to knock this individual, I've gained a lot of insight and, and information from Dr. Cho, but I remember him saying, he told the lady, he said, what you need to do, you need to tell God specifically who you want to marry from the standpoint, I want to marry a six-foot guy, you know, dark complexion, dark eyes, you know, tall, dark, and handsome. But see, I'd never tell anybody that. And the reason why is because that might not be what God wants for you. But I will say this, if you put your needs secondary, so that when you seek God primarily, then if you're seeking for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of self, and you look at the overall picture, that the, the world is much greater than the 220 by 220 lot where my house is, these things will just fall in place. Now quite frankly, I, I have a hard time praying about monetary things. Every now and then I will mention those things, but I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time praying about many things relative to myself. Because I know this, that when I accentuate my own personal private problems, they seem to grow in monumental proportions. 
And when I get up from the altar, why is it that I don't have any peace? I'm more frustrated than I've ever been before. It's because I'm putting in the primary position things that should be secondary. Now, inasmuch as this is necessary for us to do on an individual basis, it's also necessary for us to school our churches on this. You know, if you go to any of the church growth seminars, they'll tell you when a church gets about 800, that they kind of form their own denomination. That they become independent so that organizations seem to need them more than they need the organization. And you hear this talk all the time, and you'll see some of our brethren that, that pastor mega churches, which is considered a church, I think, 1,500 or greater. And some of these brethren do get the idea that, you know, this organization needs me more than I need it. They didn't want Jimmy Swagger to drop out of the Assemblies of God. In fact, they wanted to, him to take his probation standing up. And the reason why, at least it was stated by their leader as reported in, in our paper, is because he gave $14 million personally to foreign missionaries. And he made this statement, I think the assemblies of God will suffer when I drop out because they need me much more. But you see, when he became independent, he began to think independent. He began to think of Jimmy Swagger's kingdom. There was a devastation that came his way. Consequences, he's fallen back into a very similar situation as he's been before. And we have had men drop out of our fellowship who felt that they were bigger than the body of Christ, bigger than the organization. And we're all gathered here because we understand this. That, that, that the work of the Lord is bigger than Calvary Gospel Church. It's bigger than the United Pentecostal Church in, in Green Bay. It's bigger than Calvary Tabernacle. It's bigger than Cornerstone. And churches that are always just seeking for their own needs and such. You know, I pick up the I pick up our our, our Herald and I, I look in the Herald and I say, well, the Kilgore Church gave how much for foreign missions? I look in here and I said, man, I can't believe this. $234,805 two years ago, they gave $279,000. It's because James Kilgore understands that the kingdom of God is bigger than life capital. I remember when they moved in that school building they were in, and I saw this vast building, and one of our brethren said, you know, they, they, this thing seats 1,500, the ceiling's only 12 feet high. But why in the world are they doing this? I said, sure, they can afford more than that. So I heard Brother Gilbert speak. And he said, we could have built any type of building we wanted to build. And the bank would have gone along with it. But so help me, he says, at the expense of cutting back several hundred thousand dollars, I can't see the See, the kingdom of God is just, it's, it's just much, much greater than all that. And, and we need to consider this. That uh, we can't be, we, we can't we can't accentuate the kingdom of self and be pleasing in the eyes of God. Now this has a, a direct bearing on our relationship with faith, with our God, as related to to uh, believing God for things. Because you see, quite often what you can do, you can manifest faith in 
yourself rather than faith in God. The Baptists have done this by deviating so far from the scripture that they have a doctrine called beliefism, where they believe in belief. You ask them what is salvation, they say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was debating a Baptist minister at his request, at his insistence, and so they asked him what salvation was. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They asked me what salvation was. I said, salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a vast difference. See, they claim that we believe in salvation by works. And I thought, well, I'm going to dishonor him right away. And so whenever it came down to it, he had to agree that salvation is not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he said that, Several people pulled up tracks and says, Oh, but your belief, your faith says this, because here it is. You say grace plus nothing is salvation. Believing plus nothing is salvation. And Pastor Graham is saying salvation is not your belief. It's not your confidence because that's something that you personally possess and own and manifest. That salvation is separate and apart from anything you do. Salvation is Jesus Christ. His name was called Jesus, for he shall save. You can become just enough of God to send your soul to hell, but never enough to save yourself. If you think that you're going to be saved by your prayers, you are grossly misunderstood. You're misunderstanding the scripture. It takes God to save you. But if your prayers are about secondary things, personal needs all the time, and isn't it true that some of the most frustrating people that you've ever seen are people that pray for jobs all the time? People are praying for houses all the time? People are praying for cars all the time? People that are seeking direction? And when they seek direction, they seek direction more for their personal life than they do. The overall kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ says, if you seek this first, you won't have to be worrying about this all the time. Because that is a byproduct of the blessing. That is the blessings of God. It's a byproduct of God. Isn't it true that you see little children sitting down on the floor and playing? You can give them a toy and play all day long. They never considered it their happy or not. But take their toy away and you'll find out if they're happy. But if you go ask them, are you happy? They're too involved in what they're doing to even give them any consideration to it. And people that are always seeking for peace, people that are always seeking for joy, they seek for joy and they don't find joy. They seek for peace, they don't find peace. Because all of these are byproducts of God. You've got to seek God. You get the source, he says, and these things come along. So you don't have to worry about that. So after a while, we're saying, I know that God's going to answer my prayer because I've been praying for a husband for years. I know God's going to answer because I've been doing this. And we spend very little time in seeking for God. Consequently, we're out of tune with God. And we're more in tune with ourselves and our own personal needs. Now this may not seem to be uh, an issue to you, but if you if you carefully observe people who are very frustrated, people who are praying all the time for just special little directives in their life as related to their own kingdom, 
I say as we're leaving for their own kingdom. But when they start seeking for God, you know, years ago in Pentecost, and Sister Barnett can probably remember this, we had tarrying services, a lot of churches. Now, we had these tarrying services at our own hurt sometimes, or at the expense of our hurt, because we got the idea that people had to tear for years for the Holy Ghost and tear for years for things. I'm glad we're out of that mode, but the thing about but they, the thing, though, that, that made some of the old-timers is that they did have carrying services in which they were not praying somebody through the Holy Ghost. They just went to church and said, we're just going to pray because we need to pray, and we need God. Now, you're going to find this. If, if your people are tarrying or seeking for secondary things, as soon as they come along, as soon as God grants the husband, guess what's going to happen? We're going to stop praying. As soon as God gives them the job, guess what they're going to do? They're going to stop praying. As soon as they move into that new house, guess what's going to happen? They're going to stop praying. And I personally believe this is the reason why we cannot get our people consistent in prayer is because they are praying for secondary things. And they're not kingdom-minded. They have not yet learned to live outside of their own skirts and their own pants and the confinements of their own apartments and houses and their own 20 by uh, 200 by 200 lot or sometimes even their own 14 or 15 acres where their church is. That's the sum total of the kingdom of God as far as they're concerned. And what you do, you do just like Peter. You resort back to the kingdom himself Consequently, we have inner problems where people fight and fuss and try to fight the battles physically. But when it comes to standing up for principles, they deny. One hour before they're willing to kill for him, and the next hour when they're willing to do things right, they don't even believe it. Now we know that Jesus says in Mark 9, 23, if thou canst believe all in the gospel. Now Jesus was speaking to a group of people that brought this young boy who was possessed with the devil. This young man was trying to destroy himself. He would jump in the water. He would jump in the fire. His father did everything. The disciples tried their best to pray these demons out now Jesus says and he doesn't say in Matthew and Mark he said now these kind goeth out not or he says it in Luke and Matthew but not in Mark except by prayer and fasting now you know that prayer in its in its purest definition prayer does not When the Bible says the prayer of faith will save us, if we know, taking this right context, that it's God that heals, it's just our faith in God that moves God to do the work. I think you understand what I'm saying. I think Jesus was saying, Thou canst believe all things are possible. But some people can't believe until they have fasted and prayed. In other words, they've sought a relationship with God. So I'm going to change this a little bit and start talking about our. Our, our pure relationship with God. You know, if there's anything that I want, I want to give my all to God. I'm not for sure about that. 
You see, I believe that that the only way that you can seek first the kingdom of God is through strict observance in Matthew 22:37. And Matthew 22:37 says that we should love the Lord. This is the first and the greatest of all commandments. That we should love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our, our soul. Now notice he, he doesn't say anything, does he, about the body there? doesn't even mention the body in Matthew 22, 37. He just simply doesn't mention it at all. And I think the reason why that it's not mentioned here is because, you see, when, when, when you're... When, when, when your heart is captured and when your soul is captured when your mind is captured the body has no other route it has no choice or alternative it will follow suit and the only way that you have the assurance that you will always seek the kingdom of God is to make sure that your mind make sure that your heart and make sure your soul is devoted to God Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 21, the Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. He goes on to say, if thine eye be single, then the whole body is full of life. Now, if you notice the word single there, it really means one, doesn't it? Now that simply means that you, you focus in, you become so narrow-minded, you know nothing but Jesus Christ and the crucified that falls away. So as a result, that if, you're, if, you're, if you are of such single focus that you only see Jesus in everything you do, then, then you don't have to worry about all of these other incidental things that, that come as a result. They, they just fall. They fall in place. You'll find that you'll walk through doors that you, you're amazed that they were ever open. You will find that, like, like Peter and John going by the gate called Beautiful, that that there will be things in your path that, that will, will seem to be taken care of. Why? Because they were going now. Three times daily to the temple, they had developed a relationship with God. It's different now, see. It's after Pentecost. I was, I was deer hunting one time. I heard this terrible struggling sound, and I... Without moving, I just I just sat there and listened, and I, I realized that an animal was coming up behind me, and it sounded like a deer. I wasn't really for sure, but all I could hear was the panting. <sighs> and this frantic little doe, about half grown, had run up behind me with rain. She was so scared, and she could hardly hardly catch her breath. I had a go for that, but I wouldn't shoot her. I felt so sorry for her. I sat there and I said, no, She just stood there motionless for a long time. But she could hear panting. See, the psalmist David says that the heart is talking about the ear. Panted after a while. So is my soul. We've got a lot of souls panting after materialism. They're panting after secondary things. Jesus says, after all these things, the Gentiles. So consequently, if you've got someone that's always praying about personal need, I will assure you that personal need is practically 
Isaiah say in Isaiah 26 verse 3 when he talked about the mind listen to this and all of you all of you preachers can pray but thou will keep him in perfect peace his mind is stayed on thee because he trusted he trusted him and I'm not for sure you know that I have given my all to the Lord I want to give my all to Lord. I think all things are possible only when all of you is created. And I think what you do, you slim down the category in direct proportion to the amount. The amount of the all, the percentage of the all is given to God. I think that's the reason why the Lord says, these things come about not but by fasting and prayer. Now if thou canst believe all things, if you want all things, you must give your all to God. And when you start cutting down on the percentage of what's given to God, you know what happens? You cut down on the percentage of the blessings of God. And the amount of prayers if you're praying at the altar for people that walk away and they're not here, now I'm telling you this because I really believe it. I fit into this category myself, much to my shame. That people are leaving without being people are leaving without being filled with the Holy I must accept that the number that walk away are in direct proportion to either myself or that individual, how much of God. All of these things are not happening because all of them is not given. And you see, I have formed this belief and looked at the scripture, and I brother I, I mentioned this, brother Brother Grisham has this excellent uh, message he gave to the conquest of the directors of them for the matters of this faith and vision and such he gave at the general conference. But he has uh, six uh, kinds or expressions of faith found in Scripture. Jude 3 refers to the content of Christian, Christian belief, doctrinal faith called the faith. Acts 16.31 refers to saving faith and entrusting Christ and Him alone for salvation. Genesis 15.6 refers to justifying faith, the believer's reliance on the fact that God has declared him righteous. Galatians 2.20 refers to indwelling faith, that is, trusting God's word in and through us. 2 Corinthians 5.7 refers to daily faith, that one, that day by day, dependence on God, which is part of, sanctification, of, of the sanctification process. Now I'm going to this read. There is one point of this, and I don't need to take it this, but I, I do question. Uh, Brother Grisham went over this before he, with me before he even typed it up, and I agree with all of it. I wish I could have had the opportunity to question this. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, refers to the gift of faith. I'm not really sure. Now, I'll tell you the reason why I'm not for sure that's right, because, you see, he gave this 
Chisney before he gave the lectures at Gold this study ran. I didn't have time when he asked me, I said, well, I think it's a good study. I, st I still think it's a very good study. And, and I would not in, in any way want you to feel that I'm being critical of this particular study. But, but see, here's the reason why that I, I've come to this conclusion. All right? Because the Bible says, cast not away therefore thy confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Verse chapter 10, verse 35. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Now, you remember, I talked about kingdom minded. Basically, I'm talking about praying for the will of God to be done in your life. And you seek God for His kingdom. See, when Jesus taught us to pray, what did He teach us? He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But quite often it's my kingdom come to me. See? So if we're seeking God and God is and we're in the will of God, see, that's what he's talking about. For yet a little while and he that come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. So he's talking about everyday living. Now he goes into some powerful examples in the scripture. But we're not of them who draw back unto perdition or sin, but of them that believe unto the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen by it, the elders obtained a good report. I basically am saying that I believe after reconsidering this, and I, I, I told Brother Christian, I said, I think you're right on because, you know, I, I really hadn't huh, looked at the scripture that close. I really think that he's talking about day by day faith in Hebrews 11. Now, if this is true that I'm calling your attention to, is it possible then to have faith with God as we need to have faith? Now we're talking, see some people can have saving faith, but even then they cannot be saved unless the Spirit draws them. What is the Spirit that draws them? Well, John 5, 25, if I understand correctly, if you want to just turn there, that, that it says, Very, very, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now read, read all this. What's he talking about? He's basically talking about that there will be people outside of the Jewish faith. People who are considered to be dead in their trespasses. That they will hear the voice of God and they will live. When God talks to a person's heart, isn't their faith predicated upon them hearing the voice of God and obeying that voice? Can you separate can you separate belief from obedience? You absolutely cannot, not in the original Greek. Look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The word believeth is there. Search it out in the original. It means to trust and obey. That's the reason why. In Hebrews 5, verse 9, 
the same word is used, and this is what it says. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Why did they put obedience here? Because that's the context of chapter 5. And if you look at what he said in John 3.16, can you, can you in any way say that that is not talking about obedience also? Because he had just told Nicodemus that he had to be born of water and of spirit. In other words, obedience was involved in this. Now, when a person first hears a voice of God, that voice of God that's calling is his source of faith. Now that simply means if the voice of God is not involved in it, can you actually have faith? Can you have faith? Now you think about this just for a moment before you answer this. Because I think I can go to Hebrews 11, my friend, and I can show you that where 90% of all the people in this chapter who did great exploits did that and it was called faith because they heard the voice of God by faith Noah being warned of God by faith Joshua having been instructed of God walked around the wall to Jericho by faith the heart of Rahab heard the voice of God through the spies now the reason why I'm saying this when we talk about this in relation to seeking the kingdom of God, can we possibly have faith without seeking first the kingdom of God? Can you have faith in God?